A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Lorehounds Play, where the Lorehounds, your guides to pixel-based adventures. I'm John. I'm Brandon, and this is our podcast for the video game, The Last of Us, Part One. What? What? What the hell did you do with David? Oh, David, I, um, boy, I'm trying to think of something that's not too dark from the game that would be a good tie-in joke. <laughs> um, hmm, nope, can't think of one. <laughs> you sent him to Jackson. There we go. That's that's perfect. Yeah. All right. In this episode, we'll be discussing the production background of the game, our spoiler-free thoughts on the experience, and a breakdown of the characters, plot, and gameplay of Naughty Dog's The Last of Us Part 1. Before we get started, quick reminder that you can send feedback to lorehounds at thelorehounds.com or leave us a voicemail at thelorehounds.com slash contact, and we'll get to those questions in the next episode. If you're enjoying our coverage of video games or any of the shows we're covering and you'd like to support us directly, head over to patreon.com slash thelorehounds and subscribe today for early and ad-free access to every episode. Of course, you can always find our ad-supported episodes on our public feed. Just search for The Lorehounds in your podcast application of choice or use the fancy subscription tool at thelorehounds.com. Another quick ask, please take a moment to rate our podcast and leave a review if you feel so moved. Uh, ratings and reviews help other people find the podcast, which helps us make more podcasts like this one. This month, we're covering The Last of Us on HBO, The Mandalorian on Disney Plus, and Ted Lasso on Apple TV Plus, but we'll get more into that in the outro. Brandon, before we get started on The Last of Us, this is a new thing, so why don't we discuss what we're doing here? Uh, yes. So, every once in a while, we're going to be playing a video game. And talking about it. <laughs> I guess that's the quickest and easiest way to boil it down. That's a good pitch. <laughs> We're going to be talking about mostly story video games. Um, I think that fits along with the Lorehounds, uh, just getting into story and backgrounds of the games themselves. A lot of the times, these are going to be games that are meant to move you. So, uh, story, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And who are you, Brandon? Because this is the first time you've been on our airwaves, though you've been on the airwaves. Yes, I am a generalist nerd. I like stories. Um, my Twitter bio, I think, uh, is a pretty good way to uh, describe me here. Uh, I'm a story enthusiast, a podcaster, a D&D lover, and an actual bard. I'm married with children, and I have a Destiny podcast. <laughs> uh, good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's pretty much me. I'm a I'm a podcast addict by nature. 
I, uh, my, my job allows me a lot of time alone that I, I have just people talking in my AirPods all the time. And I, I kind of always have. You know, you glossed over it, but you do host a Destiny podcast, Destiny the Video Game. So can you talk a little bit about that and where to find you? Yes. Uh, big time in Destiny right now. They just had a, they just had an expansion drop. Uh, it is a, uh, boy, a first person shooter, massive multiplayer online game. So there's always something new and something interesting to talk about. I talk about that with my co-host, Brozilla Firefox, a.k.a. Matt. Uh, you can find us pretty much on all the main podcast players of, you know, of your choosing at uh, Time to Explain. It's the name of the podcast. If you can't decide if you want to play Halo or World of Warcraft, there's your game. So hop on to Brandon's podcast and he'll tell you more. Yes, we will explain what they didn't have time to explain. Excellent. All right, Brandon, before we go into the background of this game, if somebody has not played the game before, can you give the brief description of what the game is, what the basic premise is, and what the type of game it is? Read from the Wikipedia, The Last of Us is a 2013 action-adventure game developed by Naughty Dog and published by Sony Computer Entertainment. Uh, players control Joel, a smuggler tasked with escorting a teenage girl, Ellie, across a post-apocalyptic United States. The Last of Us is played from a third-person perspective. Uh, players use firearms and improvised weapons and can use stealth to defend against hostile humans and cannibalistic creatures infected by a mutated fungus. That's a pretty good synopsis from Wikipedia, I gotta say. Thank you, people of Wikipedia. It's true. It's good for what it is, you know? If you, if you know the information already, <laughs> it's good to get a synopsis of what you already know. And that's what we've done here. So I, I promise those things were true. The collective unconsciousness of, of the human race, Wikipedia. So before we go into our non-spoiler thoughts about this, let's do some background of the game's development. So let's get into some background on the game. And we're going to go pretty non-spoiler here because we don't want to ruin the experience for anyone who has not played the game yet. After we finish some background and our general impressions, we're going to move into a full spoiler recap. Yes, let's. So this is going to be a lot of repeated stuff from the first or second episode of The Last of Us show, which again, uh, once we move into the spoiler section, we're going to be doing full spoilers on both the game of the, and the show, but for now, you're safe. So this is some background on the video game development, and if you missed our show coverage, then this is all new to you. So the game began development in 2009. It was released in 2013 as a PlayStation 3 exclusive. Remember those days, the PlayStation 3 cel-shaded, not cel-shaded, I'm sorry, self-processor graphics. Important distinction. <laughs> yes, very different. The developer was Naughty Dog, who was known for the Jack and Daxter franchise before this, and also Uncharted, but we'll just gloss over that. And Crash Bandicoot, by the way. They did Crash Bandicoot? Yes. No, they didn't. They did. We can Google it. I don't believe you. I'm not Googling it. <laughs> Neil Druckmann served as creative director for the game and also directed one of the episodes of The Last of Us show. He was the showrunner of the show with uh, Craig Mazin. The concept of the cordyceps which is the sort of inciting event in this universe, this fungus plague that is turning people into what are sort of zombies, but not because they're maybe not really undead. It's a complicated thing, but it's a real fungus in the world. It's, uh, the, the premise is you have this cordyceps fungus that actually infects ants in the real world and takes over their brains by sort of infecting their heads. It's really disturbing. And it 
uses the ant's actual body to help spread the fungus. It's horrific. Very horrific. As a person who is like, like clinically afraid of zombies, um, I knew about this from way back when because someone said, hey, you want to see something that's going to chill you to your bones? And I said, sure. And uh, I did. So yeah, there you have it. The zombies are real. They're just not. <laughs> They're just very yet, small. Yeah. Yeah. So that's terrifying. And so the showrunners in there, or sorry, I should say the game developers in their depravity decided to have the virus, have the fungus go to humans and uh, ruin the world. And that's basically the, the premise of the game. So the game makers, the developers, saw a documentary on, on BBC narrated by David Attenborough, because what else do you need but David Attenborough's voice? And they saw the ants being taken over by the cordyceps, and they were like, wow, that's an insane concept that could be applied to humans. I wouldn't have thought of that. Mm, I'm not going to say I didn't think about it whenever I saw like, oh, zombies <laughs> could happen <laughs> in this way. Uh, you know, my first thought wasn't uh, a beautiful story like this, but it was definitely like, God, let's hope not. Yeah. Designing the environment of the game, they were inspired by the book The World Without Us by Alan Weissman, which is this book that's about how much work needs to be done every day to keep nature from taking over cities. And basically the overgrowth in the game because that's, that's something that the game is very known for, is sort of destructed cities, but with overgrowth and sort of natural beauty. This was supposed to be beautiful amidst the horror and, and to show the theme of life goes on. Yeah, which I, I, it always strikes me, not to get into the game coverage, but like in the game and the show, like it's just, it's that climate change thing where like climate change isn't going to kill the planet. It's just going to kill us humans. The planet will keep going <laughs> on and it's going to be gorgeous. <laughs> what a lovely thought. <laughs> So I'm going to save the rest of the background of the game development for the spoiler section because I don't want to ruin the game for anybody. But before we go into spoilers, before we get into this deep plot, it's a really rich story game. What did you think of the game? This was your first time playing it, right, Brandon? Yes. Uh, caught me in, you know, 2023 without ever playing The Last of Us. Um uh, one of the like gold standard of, uh, you know, story video games. I'm the sort of progenitor of the movie video game. I uh, hadn't played it because I'm too scared of zombies. Um, <laughs> so I finally went ahead and did it, um, mostly because of the TV show, and then also because I had some lovely friends invite me to do this thing, uh, this thing being the podcast. Uh, so thoughts up top, I suppose, are thought it was great. The story of the game is really, you know, it really does hold up. It's an old game, uh, and parts of it feel that way. But um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed my experience. I'm sort of like when I first completed it, I was like, "Whoa, now I can take take a break, take a breather." And now, like a couple of <laughs> like maybe a week or so on, I'm like, "Man, I really want to crack into The Last of Us Part Two, just because I I, I I I want the rest of the story." Um, that being said, uh, I thought the game mechanically felt kind of clunky. Okay. That's probably just uh, attributed to its age. Um, the controls didn't feel super great, uh, but I liked the flexibility that I was given because I played it on normal, so I wasn't like too, like you know, starved for resources or um, or anything like that. If I messed up, I could usually you know correct it and still not not immediately die. But yeah, the uh, the characters, the dialogue, the performances, I I really loved all of that and i also loved how much i hated the enemies <laughs> after i got used to them a little bit uh 
because I definitely got locked up at certain spots. Or I'm like, I'm not going in that room. That's that's a stupid idea. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, and it's a game that rewards exploring, right? It so really does. You and you want need to, to go in the room as far as gameplay, but you don't want to go in the room because they're scary. Exactly. Yeah, and also like. Uh, just on, on a pure mechanical thing, most of the games that I play, I play using an Xbox controller. So, like, I'm, I'm I was using a Dual Sense because I'm playing the Last of Us Part One, which is the PS5 remake. Um, aiming and shooting is something I'm fairly competent at on an Xbox controller with the offset stick and like a specific way I hold my hands. I do it all the time. So when I I have to translate that to a, a Dual Sense controller, which if you don't know, the sticks are symmetrical. Um, they're both like lower on the controller itself. Uh, and I don't play a lot of third person shooters. So I'm like, I was very bad at shooting (laughs) and it doesn't help that like, (laughs) it's a game that's more based in realism. So there's a lot of bobbing that takes into effect. Like a lot of enemies. Um, they're not just walking normal. They're doing weird stuff. Uh, just ambulating (laughs) weirdly. Uh, so like it was kind of hard to shoot that, you know, eventually I got okay. Um, but yeah, uh, I enjoyed my experience a lot, and we can get into that more as we go, I think. This was my probably fourth time playing this. Well. Maybe third. I'm not sure. Yes, and you also did play, um, you, you rented, I believe you said, the... I did. The fancy PS5 version, yes. Yeah, so, you know, that, that's one of the funny things that you said is the, the controls felt dated and clunky. This was a remake, so they actually used the engine of Part 2. Right. So they used the 2020 controls. Okay. So that's kind of funny that you were just like, nah, they feel dated, because that just means that they're bad controls. (laughs) Well, well, like, a lot of it took, like, for one thing, it is insane to me uh, that you can't, to reload, you you pull the same trigger that you would to shoot. Like that, I never got used to it. I kept pressing square to try and reload, even though that did not do the thing I wanted it to do. But like just small things like that were like, it feels like a lot of games now, you can pick up the controller and you can kind of guess what action is going to be mapped to what thing. Um, not at all. <laughs> not, not the case for this one. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to mess with it too much because my philosophy a lot of the time lately for gaming has been to try and stick as close to the dev intended control schemes as you can unless you have like an accessibility reason obviously that's a different story but they put them there for a reason um not to get too off track but god of war uh 2018 god of war i tried to play with the old school configuration until i realized like throwing your axe uh is such like a good feeling on the triggers themselves instead of like trying to mash buttons with like you know square and triangle essentially yeah so I was like, you know what? I need to trust the people who made this game. <laughs> and I did. And it was a way better experience. Uh, that being said, still didn't feel great. Maybe I should have adjusted some things. But um, another thing is I didn't want to, you know, change too much. And then The Last of Us Part Two, if it didn't have the immense accessibility options that this game has and doesn't let me pick and choose, I don't want the whole experience of The Last of Us 2 to feel bad because now I have vague muscle memories built in from The Last of Us Part 1. Right, that makes sense. The Last of Us Part Two is actually what pioneered a lot of accessibility options. It was one of the most accessible games at the time that it came out, and then they mimicked a lot of that, and I think they expanded just a little bit for The Last of Us Part One. so you shouldn't have an issue changing things in The Last of Us Part Two either. Something that's really impressive, and this is something that I, I think accessibility is an important thing to talk about in games, so I'm glad you brought it up, is that they are very, very granular 
in the ways that you can adjust the accessibility options and adjust the difficulties. You don't just have to say easy, medium, hard. You can adjust like the different kinds of combat, the different types of stealth, the different aspects of the game that might be more difficult or less difficult for you depending on what accessibility options you need yeah you can turn it and into that an is really impressive game. you can turn it into an action game if you want like just turn up the the loot basically like the the stuff you can scavenge like ammo and stuff you can crank that up just so you can like play it more like an action game and not like a stealth game if like stealth is like super bad for you right it's so like you said so granular about like tailoring the game that you want to play right Right. And I think that's great. And I think more developers should take note of that. And I think that they are already. I mean, you boot up a Ubisoft game even now, and Ubisoft has been known for all kinds of nonsense. But now you boot up what are their games and they go, how do you want to play this? They're very, very good about giving people accessibility options and putting them right in your face, right? Like you open the game and they're like, how do you want to play this? Yeah. Instead of making you go into six different menus to figure out what you can do. I think it shows a lot of confidence in their game too. Like, hey, you can turn up all these kinds of weird and crazy knobs and we still stand by the product. It's going to be pretty much as intended. So like, there you go. Right. Well, very cool. Yeah. So I, I played this back on track because we've discussed accessibility now for five minutes, but that's okay. <laughs> I played this probably three or four times, and uh, I played it for the first time in 2014. I had the first purchase my wife and I made together when we were dating was the first major purchase, purchase I should say, is a PS4 because we both wanted one and we were both not that rich. <laughs> we both were young and in our early 20s, and we could barely afford this. So we pulled our resources and we bought it and we shared it. And that was our first child together, really, before we had real children. Aww. And anyway, it came with a copy of The Last of Us Remastered because it originally came out for PS3 and then they remastered it for PS4 and finally they put out the part two in 2020 and, and did the remake in 2022 of part one. But so it came with The Last of Us 1 and my wife had played it on the PS3 because she was more of a PS3 player. I was more of the Xbox 360. Same. And uh, she said, hey, this is a really great game. You should really play it. We have it already. And I said, well, you know what? You're pretty, and we just started dating, so I'll listen to you. Anything you say, dear. Exactly. So I turned it on, and I just couldn't stop playing. I beat it in probably just a few days, because I just couldn't put it down. And uh, it, it's still one of my favorite story games of all time. It is just really up there, I think. I think it may tie or be slightly above Bioshock as my favorite story game of all time. I, I, but probably the last, of what, the last of Us pulls a little bit far forward, because... It's just a little bit more of a complete story. But anyway, the gameplay, I think you're right, is a little bit dated in the fact that in 2013, game controls were a lot less universal. A lot of things were in flux, especially on the PlayStation. I don't know why, but people seem to be very much experimenting with controls on PlayStation in a way that they weren't on Xbox as much. Yeah, Halo kind of ruled the roost for controls. So everyone was kind of like, you know, putting everything where Halo or Call of Duty did, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, no, because Halo had a weird reload, too, for a really long time, and then eventually with Halo Infinite, they finally went to the the X or Square, if you're on PlayStation, reload. But yeah, Halo had the, the R1, the right bumper reload for a really long time. Halo kind of has another off-topic. They kind of have an uh, iconic set of uh, configurations that are named. For instance, I use the green thumb configuration, which ended up turning into basically the way that Call of Duty is played, with the melee on the right stick and the reload was on X for me already. Okay. 
Okay, very nice. But yeah, no, I mean, before Call of Duty became the king of the castle, I guess. Yes. This was a much more varied landscape in terms of controls. And so The Last of Us Part 1, and then they follow it in Part 2, has that, you know, you, you said it before, you reload with the same button that you shoot with, and that is kind of tricky, right? Yeah, you have to be engaging your gun, like aiming down the sights, and then you shoot. But if you're not aiming down sights, you will reload your gun. Right. That being said, I think there's an argument for it, because I do think that if you're in this kind of survival situation, and you're being chased by a zombie, it's probably not that realistic that you're just like, you're actually going to be struggling against your nerves and struggling against the speed of this thing and the darkness and things like that. So, yeah, I I think there's an argument. I put a note in there later uh, that I can go ahead and say now because I think it fits. I felt like me struggling against the controls added to the suspense of especially the first couple of fights until I got there. So I was like, <laughs> I was legit like, is this bad because it wants me to feel like this? <laughs> like I thought it was almost <laughs> like a tone control that they were doing is let's make these controls weird. Like how the tank controls controlled back in the day for Resident Evil. It added to the to the like chilling like you know, claustrophobia of being in this little room and like this slow creature bearing down upon you. But this, this time it's a fast moving arm waving, you know, we'll get into it later. Yeah. Well, those are pretty much all my initial thoughts. I mean, again, I love the game. I think the story is incredible. The control, the controls are pretty good. I I do think that they're pretty good. Uh, I really enjoy the looting system. I enjoy the way that they make you feel starved for resources at points, because I think that that adds to the survival element. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just stood the test of time, right? This was an extremely influential game, and I think it's time we talk about it in its entirety. Yes, let's do it. This is your spoiler warning. We're going to talk full spoilers for The Last of Us Part 1. We're not going to talk spoilers for The Last of Us Part 2, so don't worry about that. I haven't but even part played it one, yet. We are definitely, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so I'm, I'm not going to spoil it for you. Thank you. So we're going to talk spoilers for The Last of Us Part 1 and the show on HBO for Season 1. However... We have not seen the last two episodes of season one because we are recording this on March 2nd. So if we get something wrong about what's going to happen in the show, you know why. Brandon, why don't you take us into the beginning of the game? Okay, so in 2013, Joel, who is voice and motion captured by Troy Baker, is a single father living near Austin, Texas, uh, with his 12-year-old daughter, Sarah, uh, played by Hannah Hayes. One night, an outbreak of a mutant cordyceps fungus ravages the United States, transforming its human hosts into cannibalistic monsters. As Joel, his brother Tommy, played by Jeffrey Pierce, and Sarah flee the chaos, Sarah is shot by a soldier and dies in Joel's arms. This game tells you what it is right away, right? Yeah, Uh, it it definitely does. Um, uh, We'll make comparisons to to the TV show as we see them. Couple quick things. I love Sarah's accent. Uh, they like the show does a good job of characterizing Sarah. We have a lot less time with her in the game, but uh, yeah. in the little bit of time we had with her, uh, she was just so cute. Uh, I love her little Texas accent. Um, and the, the watch <laughs> Joel's a lot more southern in the game too, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, a lot more southern. Um, like TV Joel slips into uh, like southern a couple of times, where like it's a little bit like, what are you doing, Pedro? But like you know. He's, he, I have no faults with him. I think he's amazing. But like, yeah, he sometimes gets a little more Southern, but Game Joel, definitely a Texan. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I thought the watch scene was pretty cute. Uh, very similar to the show as well. 
And then once, uh, once Sarah wakes up and, you know, hell breaks loose, the tension is just right away, the way it has you creeping through the house as Sarah. And then, because she's just looking for Joel, because obviously he left to, uh, to bust Tommy out of jail, bust him out of jail. But um, the way that she walks down and through the, like, backyard, like, she sees through the glass door the tire swing jump like something run past it i'm like oh shit already and then you know joel is the one who pops through the back door and you know everything gets started there where you know he has to shoot jimmy who's the neighbor and then they start jimmy yeah i know poor jimmy right off the gate but yeah when then they start to rush out of town and they get t-boned and and then the the sarah stuff happens very rough very rough. I just want to make clear before we go forward to this is the IMDB summary. So if you do want to follow along with the text here, head on to IMDB. We'll throw this in the show notes as well, uh, because it, they, they're just very good at summarizing things, you know? Yeah. And uh, if, if we're going to do a uh, an older game that already has a very good summary, I think you put it this way, Brandon. Why why break it? Right. <laughs> why? Why change it now? It is already like good, succinct. They got this down. No need to no need to try and rack my brain anymore. Uh, there's not that much RAM to go off of. Right. And the cool thing about this summary too is that it includes the actor names, the voice actor names who who also I'll add here that they use motion capture for all these scenes. So these people were actually acting out the scenes and they were being directed and there were cameras in the room and they were wearing those stupid suits, but they were really like living these scenes and they were shooting them until they got them right and i think that that really shows in the emotional impact of these scenes it feels more natural yeah and i think they really crushed it with that these feel like real people yeah and i don't think that this was a common thing in 2013 right this was happening sometimes but it was really like very big budget games and it was not that often that they were doing this level of motion capture and certainly not in like the standard like Cutscenes, yes, but like not in-game rendered stuff like this. I don't think it was happening right. nearly as often with actors like that. What did you think about playing as Sarah? Because this was something that I think is the reason that they had so much time with Sarah in the show is that they wanted you to be able to empathize with her more. Whereas I think that they figured in the game, while you're playing as her, you're going to... That, that's one of the advantages of a video game, right? Is that it puts you in the shoes of the character you immediately empathize because you're like oh i am this person right it's part I'm of a scared like, little girl looking for her dad exactly and, and you know like even if we didn't get much like we care about master chief and that is like nothing like he's like a nothing burger <laughs> especially if you've never read the books or you know engage with anything like that but we still love master chief we're this we're this little girl for like you know 10 minutes and it we immediately become attached because we are moving through we are moving with her we are afraid for her because we are controlling her um yeah i thought it was interesting um i wasn't sure like i feel like if i didn't watch the, most of the tv show first uh i would have felt differently because i th- what i knew about this game going in is that you are playing as this grizzled dude and you're trying to get a little girl across the country that's kind of all i knew about so that girl could have been, if I didn't know, it could have been Sarah. Right. Which I imagine is what a lot of people thought initially going in. That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. So, I, you know, I was, I was spoiled going in, but knowing what was coming, it was rough. Um, I will say the TV show hit me in the feels more, but man, did this, it really got me. And I think the actors did an amazing job of selling this because I mean, you know, yeah. it looks great and it's acted great, but it is a video game. Like, 
it is there is no substitute yet for an actor doing their damn thing and seeing the flesh you know so yeah yeah i I thought it was really well done and then uh from there it uh it does get into the game intro which is very similar to the show did you have anything else on this uh the opening area of the game yeah i mean i just i know that there was a detail in these uh these game development details which I should have mentioned up front, too, is from the documentary Grounded, The Making of the Last of Us, which I'll link in the show notes as well, where they actually did a full-length documentary on the making of this game. And they were showing how they had to shoot that Sarah scene, and they just had to keep doing it. And, and they, they shot this so many times, and they, they stopped shooting. And then a few weeks later, Neil Druckmann called up Troy Baker, who played Joel, and he said, Troy... We don't think we got the Sarah take, oh, no. and we need you to come back in and do the Sarah death scene again. And he was like, "I have to work myself up like that again." <laughs> God, I can't. Like you know, it, you know, it's it can't be too hard of a job to be an actor a lot of the time. But man, that's sort of writing that sort of emotional <laughs> roller coaster as by choice just sounds like a nightmare. When they actually show them shooting the scene, at least one of the takes in the documentary, and you can see the actor who played Sarah, Hannah Haynes, Hannah Hayes, sorry, she is like, her eyes are red and crying, and she's just, like, she's really, like, selling it. Yeah. And, and Troy Baker even said, you know, she, she gave me the emotion that I needed. And so that must have been really difficult for them to shoot. And I'm sorry to Troy Baker that he had to do it again. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, they got it. They nailed it. They did. They did. I mean, what an amazing intro. Like you said, if you don't know going in, it is shocking that Sarah dies. Right. Absolutely shocking. I don't think the games were doing these kinds of twists back then. This was pre-Game of Thrones popularity. This was not like the main character can die all of a sudden. You've played as this character. You haven't even played as Joel yet. You've played as, as Sarah. I mean, I guess you played with Joel a little bit carrying Sarah, but mostly you've played as Sarah. You think that maybe she's the main character. No, she's not. It turns out she's going to die like 10 minutes into the game. Very brutal. Yes. So then we get into the intro of the game. Uh, It's a really cool intro as far as video game intros go. Uh, They do like uh, sort of a credits up top, um, kind of like a modern movie style credits. uh, And they are doing like these uh, broadcast messages that you get in like I guess like a lot of zombie movie credits where they're playing like, you know, this happened in this city and oh, there's da 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 da. Uh, and I in think the city of Townsville. Exactly. Uh, I think it was really well done and I thought it was cool. Um, and one thing I, I did want to note as a gameplay note, uh, as I was playing as Sarah, the DualSense controller was glowing purple. Um, and then I noticed after this, whenever I started playing as Joel, the DualSense LED turned green. And a little bit later, we get a blue character. Uh, pretty interesting. And every time that you'd switch, it would be the corresponding color to the character. I don't know if it did that on the on the uh, the DualShock whatever it was for the earlier PlayStations. I don't even think the PlayStation Three did that. I think PlayStation Four did changing colors, but not the PlayStation Three DualSense Three, DualShock Three. Sorry, that's my favorite PlayStation controller, by the way, is the DualShock Three. Is it? Except that it has a mini USB port on top. Give me one of those bad oh, boys yeah. with a USB-C, and I am I am golden for PlayStation games. But anyway, uh, moving on. All right, if you say so. <laughs> it's, just, it's a classic shape. I love it. Anyway, uh, 
back to the synopsis. Thank you, IMDb. 20 years later, most of civilization has been destroyed by the infection. Survivors live in heavily policed quarantine zones, independent settlements, and nomadic groups. Joel works as a smuggler and his, with his friend Tess, who's played by Annie Vershing. Uh, in, is that how you say it? Vershing? I don't know. Could be anything. Annie Vershing in uh, R.I.P., by the way. She just passed away. Oh, yeah, she did just pass. Yeah. Uh, she did an amazing job. I'll say that now. In a yeah. Boston quarantine zone. Um, they hunt down Robert, who's played by Robert Robin Atkins Downs. I didn't know that. <laughs> in an arms dealer, uh, to recover a stolen weapons cache. Before Tess kills him, Robert reveals that he traded the goods with the Fireflies, a rebel group opposing the quarantine zone authorities. The leader of the Fireflies, Marlene, played by Merle Dandridge, promises to double their stolen cache in return for smuggling a teenage girl, Ellie, played by Ashley Johnson. To fireflies hiding outside of the quarantine. So let's call out a few actors here first. Yes. Merle Dandridge plays Marlene in the show too. Yes. Yes, that was uh that was interesting because obviously I was show first until uh the Left Behind episode. Um it was interesting to see the in-game version of her uh portrayed by the same person. Yeah, and she actually had to audition for the show. She heard the show was happening and she auditioned for it on her own free will she was not basically just like shoved in there from the game she she had to go seek out this role so that was pretty cool i didn't know she auditioned that's crazy yeah she had to go through the whole regular process apparently wow so ellie played by ashley johnson ashley johnson by the time this comes out will have appeared in the show as ellie's mom she's gonna play ellie's mom in the finale I what think. yeah i didn't know that that's awesome yeah, so they, they're bringing her back to play her own mother. <laughs> One other thing is Troy Baker, who plays Joel, is going to be in episode eight, which is the episode that's coming out right after we record this. And he's going to play one of David's henchmen. We have a lot of people from the game showing up in the show. I think that's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, it's nice to see familiar faces. It is. And I think it's cool that the show kind of wants them involved. Uh Craig Mazin is such a big fan of the game that I feel like it was almost like he he was like, please, let's get as many of these people in there because, you, you know, you appreciate the good job that they did and you kind of want them involved. And uh, Troy Baker yeah. is very involved with hosting the podcast about the show, the like after show podcast for HBO. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I like that they're keeping it, keeping it in the family, as it were. Definitely. Yeah. You can tell that when they're making the show. Craig Mazin is a super fan, and Neil Druckmann obviously made the game, so he's a big fan of it. Yeah. But yeah, they're, they're doing it out of, out of love. You can tell every episode is really handcrafted with love. For sure. Um, so at this point in the game, I noticed that there's basically a grime filter over everything. Um, like, everything is fucking gross, and um, the, the TV show does a good job of this as well. Like, really noted uh, when watching the show... Uh, I saw a lot of like just tattery clothes that look like they've been through hell. Same thing in the game. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Right up top too. Like as soon as you're, you're 20 years in the future, like all the clothing is like threadbare and stuff. Um, like I said, that grime filter, uh, you know, you start, you see the ration line with the execution in the street. Um, it does a really good job of world building right up top uh, with, you know, the way the world is after the 20 years. First sort of gameplay note, uh, 
as I was getting into the the game proper, uh, I used one of those accessibility options I mentioned to turn off the tippity taps for the quick time events. So, um, okay, I'm old now, and I don't want to tap triangle real fast for any reason if I don't have to. So <laughs> through my playthrough, anytime I had to quickly mash triangle, I just held the button down. And it was a huge yeah, that's improvement, fair. I'm sure. That's fair. It is it is very annoying to do those. I think that they've they've kind of actually decreased in gaming. I haven't noticed them as much lately. That was like a hallmark of the Xbox 360 PS3 era is a lot of quick yeah. time events. Yes, that is true. Like the God of War series, especially. Exactly. And even 2018 God of War, they sort of pay homage to that a couple of times. Yeah. But they know. And that's the first game I ever turned off, you know, tippy taps. I turned that off and I, you know, never looking back and never doing it again. You had a great time after that, I see. I absolutely did. Well, excellent. So something that's different from the game here, I think that we should we should talk about Ellie to begin with before we even get into the difference that I was about to bring up. So Ellie in the game is a character that was created, you know, obviously by the developers, but was really developed by Ashley Johnson as well. Because in the in the beginning, sort of Ellie was this passive character. She was going to be alongside Joel. She was going to be his companion, his his cargo, right? Yes. And then there was a scene where she was going to just stand by while Joel got beaten the shit out of uh, in, a, in a car or something by some guy. And Ashley Johnson went up to Neil Druckmann and said, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't just stand there while he's getting beaten up. This is a world that, like, you have to defend yourself, and I would go defend Joel. And Neil Druckmann goes, huh, you're right. And then they just decided to make Ellie way more violent. Yeah, I like, I like how open uh, they seem to be with, like, you know, creators that are open to suggestion and aren't like completely in their own head about stuff. Like, I, I, I feel like that's really beneficial to stories in general. It's one of the reasons why rep- representation matters in, in like, in art, is because like with these influences, like Ashley Johnson, you know, it maybe it just wasn't in uh, Druckmann's head, like that a little girl would want to fight back. But right with Ashley Johnson's experience as being one at some point. Like she was able to be like, yeah, even I wouldn't just let this this person that I care about die in the street like this. So like, yeah, I think it's it's smart for creators to listen and to adapt. And they obviously did that with The Last of Us. And it's probably one of the reasons why it's such a standout story. I agree. I agree. Totally. You know, what's also funny about Ashley Johnson is she, you know, a lot of the other voice actors like Troy Baker, especially you hear them use their normal speaking voice, and they they have a totally different voice. They're putting on a, a, a voice, they're hugely doing a different. Bit for the character. <laughs> yeah, you hear Ashley Johnson talking, you're like, "Oh, that's Ellie. That's just her voice." Right, and I I think that's a neat thing about actors. Like, like both approaches are e- equally as satisfying. I think with uh, Troy Baker right. doing the character, like you said, and then Ellie uh, Ashley Johnson just basically being Ellie. Like, there's something about both of those, like, I guess styles. That is so like interesting, <laughs> for yeah, for lack of yeah. a better word, because it's 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 a uh, you can you can paint with a different kind of paintbrush for for the different styles and uh, but yeah it's a um, I think it's a cool cool way to approach it. You're seeing with both of these main characters two di- different approaches, right? And Ellie was the first one cast out of the main characters. Yeah, and then that's they, right. They cast Joel from Ellie, basically. Yeah. Because they wanted to make sure the chemistry between those two were perfect, because obviously that's that's the meat of the story. That's the meat of the character moments. I imagine it's harder to get an Ellie than it would be to get, like, you know, your, your kind of standard heroic character. 
in Joel. Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, part of it is they really wanted this to be a character-driven game. They didn't want it to be just an action game. They already did that with, with Uncharted, right? They didn't need another Uncharted. But what they wanted was something that you could really focus on these small moments. And they even considered not having a monster to fight to having more of a, a survival game where you were just surviving in this sort of outbreak that was just killing people, but not maybe turning them into zombies. And they were like, well, yeah, but we make action games, so we have to add, add some monsters. And that's how they ended up there. But And I think that that's right. I think that it works better that way. But it's just interesting that like their priority was that drama. It's one of the reasons why you have a small group of people and not just a, like a character, like a, a Master Chief, for instance. Right. You want there to be... Right character interaction and, and that kind of thing and i i think they really well, crushed it and it's why master chief has cortana exactly right? without cortana master chief is nothing i stand by it mm, don't tell that to anybody <laughs> don't tell that to 343 i i would right to their faces we're not going to talk about halo today because i'm going to rant and uh <laughs> it's not going to happen anyway one of my favorite franchises ever that's been run into the ground. Anyway, I can't believe what they've done. Um, so game versus show again. I got a couple notes here. I found myself yep. being afraid right out of the gate to step on shroomy shit that was coming out of walls and stuff. Um, because obviously in the show, they don't have the spores. Um, right. Uh, so in the show, there's this wood wide web of like yucky mushrooms that if you step on it, you know, can summon a horde because they're they're all connected but in the show uh the outbreak was initially triggered by these spores um in the game it functions you walk into a room and you're you're like oh no it's it's <laughs> there's yucky in here better put on my mask and they they you know they mask up with the gas masks so i get why they did this i get why they didn't want the gas masks yeah but i don't get why they did the wood wide web because and you know what Listeners, again, it's March 2nd. We haven't seen the last two episodes. They might do something cool with it. But as of right now, I don't think that the wood wide web change has paid off. I don't feel like it added something, really. If anything, I would have rather them just not have a secondary way of spreading beyond biting. Yeah, I could see that. Um, it, the, the one moment that it played in the show, it was very pulse pounding. I think it was very effective, but yeah, ever since then, especially since they've gone to a much more secluded, like, you know, a lot more solitude out there out West than you are in like the city areas where you'd probably find a lot more, uh, fully flowered, bloomed, cached, uh, essentially, yeah. uh, uh, zombies, I'll call them monsters. Yeah. Um, and you have to imagine if you're in this wilderness that freezes over every year, it's not going to have the chance to get quite as big as in a city where there might be like more places to hide, basically. Yeah, the fungus is still a living thing. So like it, it is just as susceptible as environmental damage, uh, you know, through freezing as like a human would be. So it's although there is that is Boston. So that's basically <laughs> inhospitable now. That's so. true. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I found Tess to be pretty bloodthirsty. And uh, Joel, yes. definitely her henchman, uh, especially in the game. Like, Joel kind of is just straight up buff henchman. Uh, yes, ma'am, to Tess. Um, a lot less, uh, it feels like a lot less of a relationship in the game than it did in the show. Uh, like a romantic relationship. It felt more like, okay. uh, to me, that Joel was just kind of her, like, her muscle. Hmm. No, I, I got it that it was a relationship in the game, I think. They, they made it less explicit That's by the, the end. 
Um, but I, I do think the subtext was still there. I agree with you, though. Joel is, is very passive. I think that he... I don't know. Maybe it's because in the, in the show they knew that they wanted him, you know, Pedro Pascal to be like the shining glory of the show and they wanted him to not be be secondary to Tess. But I, I do think that he listened to her a bit like he listened to her on what to do with Robert and things like that. He certainly respected her in the show. Yeah. But I agree with you. He was definitely second fiddle in the game. Yeah. And as we were going about that first mission, I did find it like kind of wild, like, wow, I sure am killing a whole lot of dudes right now, <laughs> which is obviously like not how that went in the show, but also like no. there's just not much killing in the show, period. Right. Well, that's part of it, too, is and I think they said this on one of the official podcasts. We don't want you mass murdering all of all of these people because you're not going to be able to empathize with Pedro Pascal's character anymore. Exactly. This bloodthirsty monster <laughs> in a game. You're used to random, just like boom, 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 boom in a show. You're like, Oh my God, he's just killing everyone in sight. Everyone fucking every, And I did too. I'm bad at stealth. So I killed a lot of things. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, we, so then you bump into Marlene and you, that takes you to Ellie and Ellie's like funny right out of the gate, which I thought was great. Um, yes. Yeah, we can actually get into the next little section here if you're all done with this part. Well, before we do that, let's take a quick break and then we'll get back and we will discuss the rest of spring. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And we're back. Brandon, let's finish the rest of spring here. All right. Joel, Tess, and Ellie sneak out in the night, uh, but after an encounter with a patrol, they discover Ellie is infected. Uh, Full infection normally occurs in under two days, but Ellie claims she was infected three weeks ago and that her immunity may lead to a cure. The trio make their way to their destination through hordes of infected, but find that the fireflies there have been killed. Tess reveals that she has been bitten by an infected, believing in Ellie's importance. Tess sacrifices herself against pursuing military soldiers so Joel and Ellie can escape. Yeah, so the Tess bite, again, it's pretty tropey nowadays, but it did. I I had not been a big zombie movie connoisseur at the time I played this because, as you have identified yourself now, I at the time was kind of a, a, a horror movie wuss. Right. And uh, my wife has changed that because she was like, I'm not going to just not watch horror movies. So I <laughs> had to eventually suck it up. And, you had to adapt. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I've learned to have fun with them. You know, I've learned to basically laugh at them, which is how you have to enjoy horror movies. And uh, yeah, we're, we, we have fun with them now. But so I, I wasn't expecting the test bite because I thought that, you know, all right, so we got our trio and we're going to go. And every time I felt safe, they would rip that person away from me, Sarah and then Tess. And then we keep just going down the list. Yeah, it's interesting because while t- while Tess is there, it's it's interesting the way that they kind of treat that as a tutorial because Tess is making all the decisions that you're going to have to make later. So 
it's teaching you that through Tess uh, in the gameplay, Tess is like, here, you need to go do this or Shh, be quiet. We're going to try and sneak around these people. These are all decisions that you're going to have to make later as Joel. But Tess is sort of showing you the ropes of how you navigate this actual game, which I think is cool. It's a, it's a cool way of storytelling <laughs> through a game and through gameplay mechanics. thought that was really neat. Also, this is where we get our first bit of clickers. And boy, do I hate them. And they really scare me <laughs> in a way that I enjoy. Um, yeah, they're spooky. They are really spooky. Yeah, you start the game with uh, just like a nine mil pistol and then you get the revolver and you're fighting all these runners and one clicker. And I was just so bad at the stealthing right up top um is like really pulse pounding and this is kind of where i noted that i was disliking the controls because it could be adding to the suspense because like i'd go to like reload my gun and it would swing my stupid like stick that i picked <laughs> up uh because yeah. i i mash reload with square and i'm not supposed to be doing that and then i just get eaten so it's rough yeah um this the sneaking and generally in most games i'm not a big stealth game guy so st the stealth always stresses me out it's something that you really you like, especially playing on like not a easy mode or something because I was playing on normal. I wanted sort of the, I try and go for the as intended playthrough, which I would assume is normal. And, um, you know, it, it really kind of wants you to stealth it. So I tried as much as I could, usually ended up failing and then working my way out of it. Um, but yeah, uh, so it goes on for a little bit and then you, you, there's one part that struck me as like I, where I automatically like fell in love like Ellie was just great was a garage door closes after a fight and it closes over a zombie um, and whenever it's all clear Ellie's like you got something on your shoe and Joel looks down <laughs> and it's a hand just grabbing his ankle <laughs> just such a funny way to, to like you know add some levity and sort of diffuse that situation she's so goddamn sarcastic <laughs> she for, really is this game i mean it just it's really an, an excellent performance by ashley johnson because she says it in such a like eat shit bro way and i i just i i can't imagine anyone else in this role and then yet bella ramsey is doing a great job both channeling the character but putting her own spin on it yeah i think i think she's crushing it um one i guess we can get into a little bit of this now with ellie uh show versus game I found myself more, I find myself more protective of game Ellie than show Ellie. Um, show Ellie reads to me as older, almost. Well, she is older, right? I mean, Bella Ramsey's 19. Yeah, so the actress. Ellie is, is a game character that is generated to look 15. Exactly. She feels, and she, like, even Ashley's portrayal. Even her portrayal, like, I feel like she does a better job of, like, the innocence i suppose um yeah in that uh, the voice cracks a little more right like it just yeah it just sort and, of cuts off at certain points and it's yeah she she feels more like a teenager i guess bella is so good at projecting strength even whenever you know it is just a suit of armor that she's wearing um it's a different i think it's a slightly different way to portray ellie and i think it works really well whereas ashley is portraying ellie more as like exactly what's on the tin when, whenever you're looking at her whereas Bella's like I'm a badass uh, you know like she's she's just wearing that mask instead um yeah and I think it's a I think it's interesting the that's like the biggest difference between the two for me after finally now having you know played the game and watched most of the show yeah 
Yeah. No, I agree with you. I mean, I think that Game Ellie is still very tough, but for sure, underneath, she is very broken. And just like Joel is, right? Like they're supposed to mirror each other. They're, here. they're such supposed a to both have issues of abandonment and commitment that they are working through together while also being dicks to each other. Yeah, it's one of the things that initially repelled them and then eventually drew them together, is how similar they are. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, I loved it. L- loving it so far. Um, I think I scrolled up a little bit too much here. I did. Okay. Uh, oh, we get to the first workbench in this section too, which um, we can talk about the crafting in the game. I think initially it seemed okay but as i as you progress through the game man the crafting really does substantially change the the way that the guns function and i find myself like really loving just the crafting asmr of joel pulling the tools and like as he as he uh, you know upgrades with more tools and stuff like the little things he does to the guns themselves i think it's like really satisfying to upgrade weapons in this game it is it is. And again, this is very improved from the original. This is basically the way it looks in part two. So they've just taken it from there. But I'm really glad they did because it looks so much better. It looks real, right? Like it does. It looks, it looks real that he's just like the way he disassembles like the, the Magnum and not, not Magnum, but the revolver, uh, like pulling off the, the, the cylinder and stuff like it just all looks and like the sounds. It's just gun ASMR and it's pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I love that. Yeah, and I do like the crafting system generally. I think it's uh, it's satisfying to watch, like you said, but it's also sort of satisfying to finally upgrade a gun to the full potential, and then you you have less shake, and it's 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 nicer to look at. It's a it's it's a satisfying system, and it's also pretty interesting how you it, it encourages you to loot. You don't really have to, but. If you really want to have an easier time, you got to loot parts and you got to loot so that you can upgrade with pills because that's how you upgrade in the game. You just need to take some pills. Uh, you, you need to collect these. They're like supplements. Like it wants you to take vitamins and that's how you get special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have to collect these like manuals, right? These manuals of how to do things. And that'll show you these new skill trees that will allow you to use your pills to do new things. I think it's neat too, that like some of them, some of those manuals kind of read as jokes, like in Bill's bar later on, you pick up a manual and I believe it's for making, uh, sharpening your knives, but a part of that book is cut up and there's blood all over it. <laughs> like someone did not take the <laughs> lessons to heart. Um, I will say during my playthrough, I did not read everything. I did not like I picked up as much as I could find. But if it had like a whole bunch of shit to read about like stories, a lot of the time I just didn't read that. I just kept oh, progressing. You're missing out. I know I really am. Um, and I figured maybe you'd might pepper in some of these as we go. But um, yeah, where where I I I'd known about them, I tried to pay uh, like really close attention. But uh, this one, I just kind of wanted to get through. Uh, Fair enough. In a, you know, at a decent time. Uh, so yeah, Fair I enough. did not read them all, but I will be playing this game again. I'm sure of it. Yeah, um, it's a good one. The puzzles, uh, I did like maybe the first and second one, and then by the third one, these puzzles really do feel bad to play in a. Oh yeah, in today's, I think landscape, um, I I think the they're stupid. <laughs> uh, and tell me more about the puzzles though. What, what are you calling puzzles here? Uh, the puzzles as in the, you need to pick up the ladder and it goes over there or you need to figure out that Ellie can float on a thing and then moving okay. her to another thing 
or okay. you know there's a pallet in every single body of water did you know that <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's there, a wooden pallet that floats uh yeah it's uh yeah those i i found played not great which by the way there is an accessibility option to skip all of those i i probably will do that on my next run um, oh, so what does it do? I have no idea. I thought about that. Like maybe just like oh, oh, okay. You you didn't do this. I didn't. didn't I I wanted to play the game as close a- as I could to the like you know uh, original experience or at least the the uh, default experience. The only things that I really changed are kind of what I said about the quick time event fast forwarding by holding the button instead of tip taps. Um, but yeah. Um, I will say in the second game, there are definitely still puzzles, but they're not really the same. They're they're a lot more modern. I will say, and uh, to skip to Left Behind, the one or two puzzles in that game were better. Like, it, okay. it felt like they might have learned as they were going. I don't know. It's hard to say because this is a remaster. I don't know what was initial and, you know, but they, they did feel better and smarter as far as puzzles go. This is coming from me, a, a guy who plays Destiny, which, like in raids and stuff like you, there's interesting puzzles that you need to figure out to progress your encounters and stuff so this is me kind of just being a pain in the ass about gameplay pain away and speaking of pain why don't we move on to bill and frank yes uh well uh, i will say that um a couple of things here tess's death was pretty moving in the the game and uh the the difference between the game and the show there was um it was the infected that got you know them out of town and tess killed but tess going down in a firefight was pretty cool and the escape was really tense like you had to like fight your way out of there more than they kind of did in the show where they just kind of bounced um and i thought that was a pretty good human scale fight um yeah yeah no, that makes sense it's uh they did have fedra that's who came in the game yes and fedra I, I don't know how much it made sense for them to be there. I guess maybe they got word of a Firefly thing. But if they're outside of the city, I don't know. Is Fedra really going to risk going outside of the main city? I can't imagine that they would. But uh, it was, I think, a good video game fight. And it was obviously your first chance of you have to make the decisions. You have to get Ellie out of here. This right. is the game. Now. Yeah. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. So Fedra, again, we, we should make clear they they are really a very much more faceless villain in the game. They're very much more NPCs. Whereas in the show, they're like, Hey, let's humanize everybody. Yeah. In the game, the only dealings that you've had with Fedra is they shoot a guy in the street. As soon as you walk into Boston, they, <laughs> you know, they're, 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 you know, shooting fully automatic weapons as you're creeping through these, like, like just out of their view. Yeah. They're, they're Nazis basically. Yeah. Yeah. You don't Reminds feel me bad of what Bill as you... says in the show, right? Exactly. <laughs> the government are Nazis now. <laughs> well, not now. Um, but yeah. Uh, okay, so progressing with the story here. Joel decides to find Tommy, a former Firefly, uh, who, sorry, I said that like that's who Tommy is to him. Joel decides to find Tommy, who is a former Firefly, in the hope that he can locate the remaining Fireflies. Uh, with the help of Bill, played by W. Earl Brown, a smuggler who owes Joel a favor, they acquire a working vehicle. A lot of Bill stuff happens that I think is interesting here. I got a, a genuine huge scare from a runner outside of Billstown. This is the first time that I was I was really crutching hard on the listening mechanic you can do. So okay. in the game, I believe it is L1. You hold now that's sprint. Maybe it's R1. 
Either way. I think it's R1. Doesn't matter. Uh, you hold that down and everything slows down and uh, it's listening mode. Uh, and you can kind of see through walls and stuff. That's how they, they, they do it. it. The game goes grayscale and you see glowing where you can hear. So like you can see if a clicker is hiding in a shed, for instance, or if a runner. So Joel is Spider Man, basically. Yes, it's his spider sense going. Uh, I had I was crunching up, crush. I was crutching on that super hard, uh, and I walked around a corner like ah, I didn't hear anything, and then just boom, I got a you know a runner just comes up and enters. I gotta you know hold down square to get him to not touch me anymore, and it scared the living shit out of me. This is one of the first times I was like, you can't always trust listening mode. Um, no, yeah. If they're not moving, they might not be making a sound. Yeah, uh, which um, I will say the runners. One of the things I super <laughs> is super unnerving about them is uh, they're like the first level of infected. Um, so they're pretty much the like classic running zombies uh, of the right. of the, of this story. The way they are, just they they're just sort of like standing in place when there's nothing for them to be doing and they just scream or like just just very uncomfortable sounding like and it's really chilling um you know they're they're you know one of the easier uh enemies that you have to fight because you know the one thing they're fast but you can just take them down with melee if you want as long as you don't get ganged up on by them they're not very tough to take down but the way they just kind of like yell and cry out in pain constantly it's really unsettling and it's i i I think a a neat way to uh use that to tell that story of like man it must be uncomfortable to be in one of these bodies absolutely and and it's a way to make them creepy too they don't have giant mushrooms growing out of their faces but they are just scary in that like holy shit it's really unsettling hearing them make all these noises and stuff this is also where we get to the set piece where um you step into one of Bill's traps and you hang upside down uh, as you're being swarmed by infected uh, and Ellie has to break you out of uh, this weight trap that you've been caught in. And so you're upside down defending Ellie and yourself, obviously, uh, from all these rushing infected when... Uh, that was so good. I wish they would have done that in the, uh, in the show. And, and I said this to David, like, I think that would have been fun. I know it's more of a game thing, but yeah it's such a cool set piece like and all they had to do was turn it upside down but it was just so fun and like interesting um that's one of the few that i think i got first try and i felt such a like achievement like hell yes i I crushed (laughs) and uh that's where uh eventually you know ellie gets you out of that and then uh bill comes and sort of uh saves you uh bill like uh handcuffs joel i think no he handcuffs ellie uh, because he doesn't know her, and he, Bill is being very Bill about the whole thing, uh, very cautious. Uh, Ellie breaks out because uh, Bill's got her uh, Joel held at gunpoint, but Ellie breaks out and hits him with a pipe, <laughs> which, like, <laughs> she just went right to it. Uh, you know, eventually they sort of team up. But um, also, one thing I, I had noted that uh, Bill uses a kukri, which is like, uh, I'm not sure where that sort of machete knife thing is from, but I love one. I love a kukri. Yeah. Bill is a great character in both the show and the game. He is much less humanized in the game. He's kind of just an asshole, right? He is. I thought uh, Oliver Platt would have made a good Bill <laughs> just as we <laughs> saw him in the game. And then like, I was, I was curious. I was like, who is this guy? And then I looked up the actor and it was the only thing I'd seen him in is an episode of Justified where he, okay. he uh, sort of... Uh, like he's got a great he's a great character actor uh and he had a great like uh 
criminal character on that show that was like doing a hostage situation is great southern bad guy uh character actor and uh i knew i recognized it i just couldn't picture it but i was like oliver platt would have been a good (laughs) good in this role i think nice yeah so the note from frank did you read that one at least (laughs) i did that one was hard huh it was rough um especially compared to the show that was pretty wild because it's, it's obviously dramatically different. It's a happy ending in the show. In the game, it is very not a happy ending. Um, no. Frank he just hates Bill's guy. <laughs> yeah, it really... And it, it happens at the end of, like, this crazy section, too, where you're, you're trying to... The whole thing with Bill is you're trying to get a battery um, from this truck that he knows of that's in the... Like, near the school. So, it's all this action... And, like, in the first moment of, like, that you can take a breather from, like, a stealth section and, like, you know, uh, there's a bloater fight in the gym. Um, So all of that happens. And then as soon as you're free for a second and everything is cool, you guys turn around and there's just a man hanging. And it's it's fucking Frank. Uh, Right. With literally with a suicide note there. Basically saying I would rather be infected and shot in the head then spend another day with you yeah oh my god how dark is that very brutal <laughs> also like the reason that he knew who it was is that only frank would wear a shirt like that and it was kind of like just a hawaiian <laughs> shirt um, yeah but yeah. this was a big deal too right because this was not an era where gay relationships were depicted in video games for sure definitely not in games um 2013 it would have been yeah, yeah, it's 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 it was fairly uncommon, which um the way that Bill kind of just rolls it rolls with it and like immediately uh is like putting on the mask of like just being defensive um is interesting. Like he's like, "Yeah, it serves him right. Idiot, that's how that's how you die if you don't, you know, play by <laughs> Bill's rules." <laughs> he didn't say that exactly. Guys. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> But like the way he sort of pretended it didn't get to him, uh, that I think the actor did a very good job of making that very readable. Uh, yeah, but it's pretty brutal. Also, uh, we can do a quick arsenal review. We got a shotgun. <laughs> uh, we got a bow at this by this point. We got the revolver. Um, the shotgun came in very clutch for that bloater fight, which I thought was. <sighs> I don't know how much I liked the bloater fights. I'll say. Yeah. They are a little bit of uh, sponges. Yeah, just you know, bullet sponge. sponges. Uh, yeah. I think the there's a bloater fight a little later in the game that plays better because you're in like a tight building uh, and you got to be like running around and stuff. Um, I'll get yes. more into that, but it's it's got a very claustrophobic like, and it's a it's a good fight. I think um, the yeah. worst part about the bloater fights is that you got to you get caught up in fighting the rest of the things and then a bloater catches you off guard, grabs you, and you know rips your head off but right yeah that the first bloater fight in the gym was a pretty interesting way to and they also um as you're looting beforehand uh there's a little like swatch of stuff that like it shows the different classifications of them and the bloater one is ripped off i knew what a bloater was going into the game because i've seen the show and there's a bloater in uh one of the episodes but i saw like a part of its head and they had ripped off to where like they didn't want you to know about the bloater just yet so i thought i was like ah i see what you're doing there so i kind of had the best of both worlds where i like i knew some spoilers but like i i I still got to be surprised and excited and delighted in most cases 
when the bloater showed up in my first playthrough, when I, again, this was my first experience in the whole franchise, I went, what the fuck is that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I didn't have that reaction. I just, oh no. (laughs) Like already, man, it's so early. But yeah, luckily I I had had collected a lot of shotgun ammo by that point. Uh, And uh, Bill does kind of a good job because he's sort of on top of the bleachers uh, doing some suppressing fire for you. But yeah, uh, that was a pretty fun section there. Uh, Eventually you get the battery. Frank had the battery. He had stolen the battery. So Mm -hmm. you get that. Um, And in this section, Joel tells Ellie that uh, she was doing a good job, Uh, which is... He's not quite as withholding in the game, is he? No, like he seems a little bit more like human in certain ways. Like Pedro does a very good job of like showing a lot of this, like putting on the veneer of a badass uh, that I think in the show, both Pedro and uh, boy, oh boy, what's her name? Bella. They both do a good job of like sort of having that same characteristic where in the game they seem a little bit more like willing to be genuine, I guess. This is where we find out Ellie can pop a clutch and that uh, there's another badass uh, set piece where you're pushing a truck as as Ellie is trying to pop the clutch of it and get it going. And uh, you have to uh, stop pushing to kill monsters. And it's a really fun section. I had a lot of fun with this part. It was uh, it was very dark. You know what's funny is I hadn't played this in years before I replayed it mm-hmm. in this part. And I only remember like bits and pieces of what happened. And I wanted to play it before the show. And I kept going to my wife who remembered it more than me for some reason. I think she might have played it more recently than me. I kept going, is this the cannibal part? Was Bill the cannibal? <laughs> no. And uh, she would go, no, it's not Bill. Relax. And then, and then the same thing in the next section, Sam and Henry. I was like, are they the cannibals? <laughs> I don't remember. There's a, yeah, like, never a good situation when you run into cannibals in the post-apocalypse. There's lots of right. very fun examples of that, but luckily, it, it I think it's really um, understated in this version. Um, right. Before we get too much past this, um, there's a couple things I've found. There's a huge section that you can stealth in where uh, you're going to get the battery. Uh, it's sort of the only <laughs> successful I, the way I stealth because there were so many of them there. And I also found that the shiv rules. So every single time I could update it, I would upgrade the shiv. So that was like one of the, the first. The shiv does rule. Yeah, it's one of the very first upgrades I got all the way done. Um, I think you'll enjoy The Last of Us Part 2. Good. <laughs> That's very good. I'm in, I'm in like such a weird... Uh, zone of the last of us because like i feel like there are barely any people like me that exist right now that have only knowledge of the first one and have only played the first game it's i feel like you've either not played any of them or you've played them both so i'm like in the this well actually i didn't play the second one until like two episodes into the show really i said you know what well i i played the first like half of it Mm -hmm. and uh i didn't want to finish it Ah, for various reasons gotcha well it, it was a great game, but it made me really sad. I understand that. <laughs> and I didn't want to be sad at the time. And then I, I played the whole thing again, and I was like, that was a masterpiece, and I still feel sad. Yeah. Some of the best masterpieces elicit a lot of strong emotions. So, yeah. You gotta embrace it. Part two is just as emotional as part one, if not more. Right. Um, so we get out there. Bill gives us a siphon. And um, for for Bill, he was nice. Like, I, I feel like they had a like a pleasant uh you know goodbye they they were kind of jerks to each other in the way that you know that you are uh if you're gruff 
uh, you know, bros living in the post-apocalypse. Um, from there, we get the first uh, Savage Starlight sighting. Uh, we get a cassette, and we also get a porno mag, which was a very fun scene, pretty much exactly uh, replicated in the show. It's very similar. Mm, yeah, the 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 porno mag scene was really just something, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it, it made me laugh out loud. Like, it, like again, I saw this the first time in the game, and and uh, she was like, "Oh, why are the pages sticky?" And just Joel's discomfort, even though it's a game, and his face isn't emoting as much as Pedro Pascal's, where it just drops. Yeah, which is very funny. They do a great job, with especially it. because, like, like I said, with Ellie reading younger to me uh because obviously she's built pixel by pixel to, d- to do that but like yeah uh the way that she is just pulling his chain there is so funny to me uh and they do the same i'm not even tired smash cut which is very cute uh to pittsburgh um which is a different city than in the show but you know it doesn't matter um you ready to move to the next section i am ready all right driving into pittsburgh they are ambushed by bandits and their car is wrecked uh, they they ally with two brothers, uh, Henry, played by Brandon Scott, and Sam, played by, N- I think, Nadaj Jeter. Naji. Naji Jeter. I could have looked this up, but I didn't. That's my fault. I'm unprofessional. After they escape the city, Sam is bitten by an infected, but hides it from the group. As his infection takes hold, Sam attacks Ellie, but Henry shoots him and then commits suicide out of grief. A lot of stuff to get into this one. Uh, there's a very like, way to, like rough way to cut that down. I uh, got a lot of notes here. All right. Keep get, get going already. All right. <laughs> so into, um, I will say into your podcast, uh, I agree with you. Uh, he ain't even hurt is such a good sort of line there where like, um, I think, uh, because obviously what's happening is the guy walks, the bandit walks out in the middle of the street pretending that he's hurt and Ellie's like, let's get him. But Joel, you know, puts it in drive and says he ain't even hurt. And then the, the, I think it's a very fun way that the, uh, diegetic music turns into the soundtrack of the show here. I, yeah. I, I didn't look up the song. I just, I thought it played really well because I, you're listening to the cassette of this old country song. And, um, as he hits on as he hits the gas and sort of shit breaks bad uh it turns from being on the radio to being the soundtrack and it worked super well um but yeah that uh, i i think uh you kind of in your coverage of the episode uh pedro does not say the line he ain't even hurt he just what did he say do you remember uh i think she said are you going to help him? And he just speeds up. I don't even think he says anything. You can see it in his face. Like, I think he, he conveys that very well without the words. He ain't even hurt. Yeah. Cause he just, he just has a knowing like I've, I've pulled this shit before we got to get out of right. here. Uh, right. I think he yeah. does a good job of saying that, but the, I think it, uh, it is a pretty iconic line. Um, I know. And I do think it tells you everything you need to know about Joel, right? Like I have done this shit before. I know exactly what this game is. And I do think Pedro says that, with his face so i I think that's um i don't know i'm i'm hit or miss whether you know it's not enough (laughs) it's not enough we needed the line that's my stance and i will not change it right um i did find it wild that there was no um like a splash screen to separate acts uh like a like pittsburgh on the bottom they kind of do this later with the seasons um i i thought it was like because it just moved right from the bill shit to this um yeah, I, th- I thought that was weird that they didn't have anything to separate it. But I think it's a good yeah. choice. 
because they do that later. And uh, here it's like j everything just feels like such a fluid story. Um, right, right. I do like that they divide it by seasons. I don't know why, but it's it's just a nice way to have that cadence. Yeah, you convey time passing in, in, in that way with that splash screen. And I think it's very effective. Um, yeah. Speaking of effective, holy shit, I'll say, uh, this, uh, the way this fight plays out is a little different. And in the game, it is way more brutal. Uh, Joel sli slashes the throat of a bandit with this glass that's from this, um, like a display case, and they brick the face of a man. Uh, really brutal. Whereas, you know, the show, there's, there's just some shooting stuff, um, and Joel does have to uh, coup de gras with a knife, uh, a guy, but that's seen off screen. Um, yeah, and then you get to, uh, as you're progressing up in this little base here, uh, you find uh, hunter victims where they had um, basically been grabbing people, like getting rid of all their, like stealing their gear, basically. And you find notes of that of where it's just like they're just gathering from passersby. Yeah. Um, right. Which uh, in the, this is the section where in the show they teach you about these people. It's obviously a different group. It's a different city, but um, these are a lot more sort of nameless, faceless bandits. Agreed. Agreed. I, I think that the show does a better job for TV, but I think that it's fine to just have these NPC characters, these NPC faceless villains in the game i think so too and i mean like having them be nameless and faceless is storytelling in its own like you never know who you're gonna bump into uh and i think it's you know these are people you can it, you can think of them as people because they are they're just you know more savage they're more you know they're willing to do whatever it takes if <laughs> even if that includes you know running people down with a humvee that's all kitted out in armor um right I, I think it's just as valid of a storytelling technique. But uh, yeah, around this time, we also get another workbench. And I also decided here in my playthrough, I'm just going to use what I pick up when I pick it up. Uh, there was like three bandits around, and I just threw three uh, bombs at them. Three of those can oh. blade bombs. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm, never gonna, I'm not going to hoard stuff in this video game. I'm just going to use it. If I find it and if I don't have it, if oh, I don't no, have I'm a hoarder. Yeah. If I don't, ha I, I usually am, but I was like, eh, I'm this, my playthrough, I'm just using all the shit I got. So if I run into a bloater <laughs> and all I've got is three shots in my nine mil, we'll make it work. Ron Howard voice. He didn't. <laughs> I had a great time. I actually didn't really like, you know, I never ran into any situations where I didn't have what I needed. Uh, I think the, the game did a good job helping me out there. Yes. Uh, this I have the note here that the way the runners scream and cry constantly, it's very upsetting. Yeah. Well, I think there was actually a, a line in the original game, like the 2013 PS3 version that they took out in the remaster and uh, has been out of every version since, where I think a runner basically said something like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to hurt you. Oh, wow. Okay. And then they took that out later. So they at first they were like, oh, the runners are aware. But maybe they thought it was too dark. That is and that's very where they dark. took it out. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, that's sort of changes the entire like course of the infection. Like the, right. the way that that story is told. Um, I kind of think that would be cooler <laughs> in, in sort of a dark <laughs> way. But yeah, like I think that's interesting. 
Yeah, very interesting. And it was somebody you just passed by. It's not like something that's really drawn attention to. It's not like a cutscene. It's just like you hear it in the background if you're when you're passing a runner over a person. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Ellie had been trying to learn how to whistle as we were progressing through this, and she eventually does get it. Uh, you get into a firefight with some hunters in the library where Ellie expounds that she likes books and stuff. This is where you hear Endure and Survive for the first time. Ellie f- <laughs> sees a, uh, in one of the, uh, like a storefront as you're progressing, she sees a mannequin, uh, at a, like, a a clothing store and she sort of model shames her she says that girl is so skinny <laughs> like what did people like, i thought people had plenty to eat before everything happened and joel is just kind of like yeah people just like looking like that then and ellie's just dumbfounded she's like really that's yeah it's weird uh, well i guess the the dumbfoundedness comes from being so obsessed with appearance rather than just survival exactly like it's just it's it's so alien to Ellie that people would choose this instead of survival. Um, right. It's just that you know the course of her being born into this world. Um, and speaking of the old world, Joel, this is where we find out that he loves coffee because uh, they're in sort of a mall. Um, yeah. And uh, also Ellie just kind of hums and stuff the whole time, uh, and I love it. Like she just they they do such a good job of portraying her as a kid even just you know navigating your environments we get to a classic uh ladder next to a puddle ambush uh and that's where (laughs) uh a bandit sort of knocks joel down and uh in the show this is sort of done where uh joel is sort of pinned and the only way that they were able to get out is for ellie uh using a gun to kill a man here uh joel is a jerk sort of like he was in the show uh, and Ellie like is very vulnerable here, and she's like telling Joel that it affected her, and Joel just refuses to reassure her. Um, right, which I I think is uh, I think it's interesting that you know like she she made He's it very, very clear what she yes she made it very clear what she needed, and he just could not do it, couldn't help her. Yeah, well, again, he, the whole game. And maybe I'm not saying this as much because I've said it so much in the show, but the whole game is Joel resisting bonding because he's so afraid to lose somebody again. It's not just Sarah. It's recently Tess. Yes. And then soon it's going to be Sam and Henry. Right. Um, there's a bit of a shootout here where uh, you're, you give Ellie a gun to shoot. the ri- Well, Ellie has a rifle and um, basically uh, you got to get across this field eventually and you just you're you're in a fight with all these uh raiders basically uh and so ellie gets to have some time with a rifle uh joel tells her that humans are bigger than rats uh, because she has shot guns before but they were bb guns at rats and she does pretty okay uh this is also uh, as we progress past this uh we see the two people there's been notes that um people have been leaving i say i didn't read them i read some of them uh these uh and also, you're hearing it as the as you're sneaking around these hunters and stuff. They're talking about this couple that they've been hunting. Uh, you you get to witness this couple being just ran down by this Humvee, and yeah. then you're led into this interesting section where you're basically fighting a truck. <laughs> you have to like hide from it and get around it, and like it's a it's a fun way to do a puzzle in this specific game. I think. Yeah. Is just sort of getting around this truck. And as we do that, uh, we run up uh, against Henry and Sam as we just as we escape uh, and sneak away from the truck. 
Also here, I was really taken with the elegant crafting system. So the way that they handle crafting when you're not at a workbench is there's only six materials. And in the, in the different combinations of these materials is how you can craft your gear. So your medic kits, basically your uh, little bombs that you want to make uh, your uh, you know, stuff like that is all done through these six items that you can use in different ways. And I found that that system was really elegant um, hmm. uh, and sort of fun to engage with. And you can do all of it in the fly. If you, if you like, if you are in mid fight and you find yourself, short on you know healing resources uh you can even like find something and then quickly put together a heal to like heal yourself i, th I think it's um i think it's a really smart crafting system and if that's something that existed in 2013 i think they crushed it yeah yeah no the the crafting system is definitely part of the original game i mean that was something that they were very famous for and uh i'm glad that it sort of spread to other games after this yeah uh, I, I really like that so this is where we run up into uh, we actually have like a brutal fight with uh, Henry and Sam uh, that, you know, eventually is obviously very different, very different than the show, because Henry in the game is an actual fighter. Like he's very good at survival. He's basically Joel in his level of skill. In fact, he surpasses Joel in some things, it seems like. Yeah. And um, they really um, it's really sort of an obvious Joel and Ellie parallel with uh, with Henry and Sam. More so in the game than in the show, for sure. Uh, because, you know, I think Sam and Ellie are a lot closer in age in the game. Uh, Sam's a, a lot younger of a guy in the show. But yeah, they're, they're, they're just passers-by just like us. So it's, it's even more of a close, uh, close parallel to us. So it, it, that makes sense. It's kind of worse with uh, what eventually happens. Um, but they do a team-up. Yeah. And, you know, you, as, as you progress, you see like, um, as you're making your way through these ruins, you're seeing a uh, fridge decorated like a family I found and like the letters and like, you know, the fridge letters and kids drawings and stuff. And that's just like, that's not even as you get into the sewers, which we will eventually get to, but like, they're doing such a good job with just the world around you telling you the stories of all the people that are just fucking gone now. Very sad world. It sucks out here. Uh, there was a... <laughs> There's a section with a transformer. It's not a transformer, but it's a transformer, uh, which, you know, I think the line is we only carry what we take, what we need, or we only take what we need. Uh, so, you know, Sam just getting sort of hurt that he can't just have like a simple toy, which, you know, Ellie pays that off a little bit later. You know, what's funny is that this Sam is older, but this is the one that gets the toy. <laughs> That's true. He really does get it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sam and Ellie hit it off right away. Uh, they, they do that in the, in the show too. Uh, but yeah, they, they, they hit it off. Uh, they, they crash and then we wake up for a night mission. This is where we are running from the truck again. And Joel, basically, uh, the little ladder gets knocked down and Joel can't get to where they are. And Henry and Sam are kind of like, we got to go. Sorry. Like we were a team, but we got to go. Ellie hops down in back into the fight. And she says, we stick together. So like, she's fully like team Joel at this point. And I thought that was just such a badass thing for her to do. Like she was safe. She jumps back into the fray. Probably, you know, it's not a good idea. Joel probably would rather if her have continued with, uh, you know, Henry and Sam, but it's just such a character, like a badass character moment where she's like, no, fuck yeah. this. I'm going with you, Joel. Ellie is ride or die. 
She really is. Yeah, and as they're they're making their way through this and running from this truck, they get like up to a point where they can't go anymore because there's water. It's sort of a joke at this point that Ellie can't swim, which is uh, it is basically a joke. Yeah, it's like, come on, man how how many months are you gonna be with this guy before you learn how to swim? Exactly. But you know, another badass Ellie moment. She's like, hey, this is the only way out. We gotta go. You're gonna have to save me now, and she just dives into the water. Badass Ellie again. And of course, you know, as they get to that, Ellie and Joel are saved by Henry and Sam, I think. Uh, it's hard to say because basically you guys walk, you wash up on the water or on the beach. Yeah. I, I think that it's implied strongly that Henry went and saved them. Definitely. Uh, at this point, I noted that the Henry voice actor, I believe that was Brandon Scott. Uh, mm-hmm. He is very good. He is. Yeah. Yeah. Very effective. Um, the uh, remaster of the game, like his face is just so like weathered. <laughs> And for such a young guy, I think they did a very good job with him. And the voice actor really did convey like, like how hard he was fighting to get out of there. I think he did a great job. Uh, And I found an ish letter on a boat. Um, Did you, did you want to get kind of get into the ish stuff? Cause like, I I love ish. I read a lot of the ish stuff, but this is also one of the scarier parts of the game for me. So I was more concerned with my own life. (laughs) It was pretty scary. The tunnels, but yeah, ish is a side story that you get out of the notes in the game and again you should be reading these notes don't follow brandon's lead definitely follow my lead for sure read every single note because they are really great side stories you are not on a deadline and, uh, to record a podcast read the notes right exactly the notes so so ish's notes basically show that he realized the outbreak was happening he went underground he sets up this solitary safe house where he's got you know a food source he got water source he's fine he's doing great and then he's like well but i'm kind of lonely and so he basically people watches for a while and tries to find the normies and he looks around and he sees families and he's like all right the families with kids are probably fine because they're not going to go nuts on me at least and uh so he starts inviting one by one little families to join him and they form a community and like, it's a very successful community and it's flourishing for a while. And there's a, like you see in the show too, there's a, a kids play area and there's a, a whole like family area and every, everybody's happy. And then the infected come and they finally get into these sewers. And, um, it's really rough because you walk into this room, this kid's room and you see on the floor written in, I think it's blood. They didn't suffer. And you see a bunch of small bodies. And then the note says, the infected are at the door. If they are about to get in, I'll do what I have to do. Yes. And this was a man named Kyle. Kyle got bit and had the kids in the room with him. So he had to, like, he was just, he got pinned down. And I think what he ended up doing was having to kill all the kids and then himself. So pretty rough because there is a bullet hole inside of Kyle. Poor Kyle. Very poor. Like, man, could, that's just the worst. <laughs> you got to you gotta do yourself, but first a whole room of kids. Just really rough. This world sucks. And they do such a good job of teaching you that. Yeah. It's just like every time you're like, this is just unfortunate, right? It's not even like, that was not an evil thing to do. No. It's that probably, was honestly probably right an act thing. of kindness. Yeah. But it's horrible. It's a horrible thing to do. Yeah. Um, lots of scary sections through this part on top of the great environmental storytelling. Um, there's a part where you're separated, um, where Ellie has to go with, go with Henry and you are sent with Sam. Uh, basically you're just separated by a door that falls down, uh, video game shit. There's a very scary fight there with lurkers, which are 100% my least favorite enemy in the whole game to fight period. 
because they are so they're like they're kind of caught between a runner and um a clicker mm-hmm. um i don't think that they actually do they call them lurkers in this they do okay because in, in the second one they call them something different i, I guess they are kind of different in the second one never mind Never mind, it's fine. Keep calling them lurkers. <laughs> so these ones, I think they can't one-hit you like the clickers do every time. These guys might, like, you might be able to fight them off. But I treated, I, I didn't know that, and I've never been killed by one. Uh, I've never been grabbed by one because they do a thing where if you approach them, they will run up on you. But if not, they'll kind of always hide. They're like very skittish clickers. Um, and I hate that because they hide. And, like, you can't pick them up on your hearing because they're lurking. So, right. like, this, I had such a hard time progressing this fight. Uh, basically, what I ended up doing was using all of my bombs. I would create a little bit of noise. And um, this is the first bit of time that I used the tactic of throw a thing. Everything comes to it. Throw a bomb. Fight's over. But the lurkers are a little smarter than that. They don't just run straight to it because they can, I think, they can still kind of see. So, yeah. This was a very rough fight for me. Uh, but yeah, I eventually, obviously, I eventually made it. Um, and everybody gets back together. Uh, and you're making your way through like a neighborhood now. And uh, the kids are talking about a world of uninfected and how different everything seemed. They're walking through these like homes of people that were living lives. And you find notes and, you know, just families. And they're basically talking about the world of the uninfected. Henry has a couple of things to say because he was like five when it all happened. So he, he does remember, like he said, his, the thing he remembered most is barbecues. Like how just everybody came over and hung out. You know, another way that they're painting with bleak strokes on, uh, yeah. on this. The joys of barbecues. You never have those anymore. Nope. Gotta love a barbecue. Well, some of these people have barbecues. I think David's crew has a couple of barbecues later. Um, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, they sure do. Uh, so dogs are fighting in the street, which really is kind of never paid off. Uh, you just find like a couple of dogs fighting, uh, play fighting. Uh, and when they see you, they get spooked and run off. Um, also, I found a note. Ish made it out, apparently. He didn't die in the sewer. Um, there's a right. note in one of these houses and Ish talks about how much it sucks that everything went down in the sewers. And that's the last Ish note I found personally. Um, yeah, no, I think that is the last one. And it's, it's fun to find out that Ish left, but uh, boy, was that unfortunate for the people with him? Definitely. He is just a survivor though. He is. I don't think anything could take him out. He's out there somewhere. I'm sure of it. Um, He's a survivor. <laughs> that's All right, right Reba. Um, this is the sniper section. Um, I could not have avoided being spoiled by the show on this one. I knew it was coming. It was like, if I didn't know, I might've not (laughs) like, it's hard to say if you didn't know, you didn't know, but there you are just sort of walking into a shooting gallery here. Yeah. All right. So, um, the sniper fight is a lot different in the show and in the game. So this sniper is talking mad shit. <laughs> and it's kind of funny as you're, you know, uh, obviously it's not funny for people being shot at, but the sniper is kind of fun uh, with how he's just like talking shit to Joel and Ellie and all them. And he's a much better shot than in the show. Yes, much better. Eventually, uh, as you're kind of getting through there, you get to him and you just got the shit out of this guy. Uh, you just got him and it's really rough. <laughs> uh, not nearly the like sort of touching way that they handle it in the show where, you know, Joel tries to show mercy. Uh, it is not that in this case. 
No. Um, and then we get to engage with Sniper Joel in the game, uh, which is pretty damn similar to the to the show, except it's not infected this time. It's just more bad dudes, the same bad right. dudes you've been fighting. Um, right. It does a sort of like a circle where you have to protect uh, all the kids down. And uh, as people are approaching them, you have to sort of, you know, keep them free of that. Right. And then uh, there is a bit of infected that pop up, which it's like, because you're all the way, you're Joel. So you're, you're, you know, very far away from the action. And Joel just kind of sees it as it's happening. And it's very chilling. And eventually the infected sort of start to swarm you. And I'm like, okay, we can go now. Like, why am I still sitting in a sniper perch? <laughs> um, but yeah, eventually everyone sort of gets out. And that section is done. Uh, you get to a little place to hold down. And Sam's looking a little sweaty. He is a little sweaty. I think he's probably fine. Sam and Ellie talk a little bit. Uh, Ellie explains that she's mostly an atheist. And then she produces a Transformer doll that she stole for him. An action figure, excuse me. Um, which I thought was cute. I think it's cute that she stole that for him. It is. It is. And she, they have this conversation that is so similar in vibe, but different than the show. Like, like she, she's really like, yeah, I don't believe in heaven. And that, that is hard for him to hear at the moment. Definitely. Also brutal to hear from a kid. Um, you know, cause obviously you don't want to have, you know, you, you don't want kids to have to even think about death. It's just fucking brutal. But, um, right. We had to hear the way that these kids really have to reconcile with it, especially, uh, especially Sam, because he's very aware that he's going to be dealing with it. And uh, the way it transpires differently is we get to see as Ellie leaves the room, we get to see that he's bit, but he did not tell Ellie. Right. He hid it from everyone. Um, and I, I have in my notes here that it was such a nice morning until it wasn't. Well, you know, something that they said in the official podcast for the show, I think, is that Part of the reason they had Ellie find out about it and then try to cure Sam was people keep asking Neil Druckmann, to, would, would Ellie's blood just be a cure? And he said, you know what, I'm just going to give an answer. No, it would not be. Yeah, I think it was affecting as well in the show because like she just, she was riding on such a high, I think. Right. Uh, and like yeah. she thought maybe for a minute she could, she could be a healer and she had to learn a hard lesson. That now, yeah, it's all just brutal and everything sucks. The last science isn't just mushing fluids together all the time. Nope, not all the time. Unfortunately, sometimes it would be great if it worked out that way, but no, she's not a she's not a walking healing potion. No, yeah, it's it's just brutal the the way it ended. Um, the the confusion followed by like just uh, just the most sad that you can drag out of a human in Henry. Um. And then just the hard cut fade to black, and then we get into the fall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> first of all, different line from Henry in the game. He he goes, "It's your fault." Oh yeah. And he and he, when he's pointing the the gun at Joel, and and so for me, I was like, "Oh my god, is he going to shoot Joel?" But no, he's. Uh, I I don't know. I guess he was speaking to himself in the end. Yeah, and I mean, like, it's easy to blame Joel because like he'd been getting by just fine without him. Kind of. I mean, everybody he was with died too. Yeah, you just um and and um. I mean, he did get Sam out of a sticky situation. I don't know. Joel Joel helped them as much as he maybe endangered them. So I I I don't think that's really fair. But you know what? 
grief does funny things it to does things that we and say. like you just you, the, you rationalize you try and rationalize as much as you can and you try and get yourself out of you know hot water right like it's not my fault that i just shot my brother exactly you know he's just trying to give himself a way out and eventually is in his mind he couldn't do that which he couldn't handle uh which then he opted out as it were right yeah pretty brutal and we don't get the coda on that either where um you know we get to see them burying like in the show we get to see them uh burying henry and sam they they uh they allude to it later on in the fall but uh yeah they it was just a hard cut to them uh in wyoming which is where we will pick back up exactly yeah i mean very very hard scene and what a note to end on Folks, it is an hour and 50 minutes into our recording. It might not be that long in the final product, but we are pushing this night, and it is getting late. So rather than give you all a four-hour podcast, what we're going to do is we're going to split this podcast into two. And part one, you just heard. Part two is going to cover the second half of the game, and we'll also take feedback. Send it to lorehounds at thelorehounds.com or go to the contact page at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Leave a voicemail or a contact form entry. We're going to do our credits in a few weeks when we record, and that, that will play right after this. But until then, thanks for listening here, and we're excited to talk about the rest of the game. All right, well, I think it's time for our outro quickly. Here's our Patreon shoutouts. We have a Patreon. It's a big part of the way that we support what we're doing here. You know, there's real cost to podcasting, both in time and money. And our biggest supporters, our our, uh, monthly supporters called our Lore Masters, pay 10 bucks a month just to get a shout out, along with, uh, you know, downloads of our music and things like that. Ad-free, early versions, the the whole deal. You get everything as a Lore Master. And here's our list of thank yous, because we are so grateful for our Lore Masters and all our patrons. Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H, Michael G, Michelle E, David W, Brian P, Nick W, SC, Peter O H, Bettina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Lavinia T, Dork of the Ninjas, Duve 71, who just upgraded from Lorefiend, and our newest lore master, Brian8063. Thank you to all of you. This is the, just a list of the time of recording. It could be different by the time that this gets released, but wow, we are so grateful for our supporters. Programming notes quickly. March Madness is over, but April is almost as crazy. We've got The Mandalorian Season 3 going. We've got Bad Batch and Visions. It might be out by the time this comes out, but we're talking about it. We're talking about that animated Star Wars stuff. Ted Lasso Season 3 is off to a great start at the time of this recording, and I'm sure it's going strong at that point. We are also covering The Earthsea Cycle with Marilyn R. Pukila. That's a book series that is a, it's very short, you know, it's about 200 pages of book, and uh, it's, it's high fantasy, and yet it is a light read. So I hope you join us on our Firehose feed for that. Lastly, if you want more reading, we have Silmarillion stories coming out this month. Uh, with our guest Mary Clay from That's What I'm Talking About. So I hope you'll all join us for that. We're going to be back on the Tolkien train again. Again, if you want ad-free and early access, go to patreon.com slash lorehounds. If you want to chat with us and other like-minded community members, check out our Discord server, which you can find in our show notes. And as always, please like, rate, and review. Thanks for listening. The Lorehounds Podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. 
You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond.